Welcome to the Rising Lioness, where we celebrate the beauty and complexity of the natural world and the amazing people who advocate for it. Today, we're diving deep into the world of sharks, a majestic creature that is unfortunately facing a global extinction crisis. Our guest today is Dr. Raj, Raj Shaker Aich, a true pioneer in the field of shark research. Not only is he an expert in marine anthropology and applied psychology, but he's also the first scientist to explore human shark conflict in the Sundarban region and has created a unique transdisciplinary methodology in human shark research. Dr. Shaker's book, Iridescent Skin, provides an intimate account of the existence of white sharks and challenges the stereotypes surrounding them. Throughout our conversation, we'll explore his commitment to shark conservation and research and the transformative impact of these experiences on public attitudes. We'll also emphasize the importance of a holistic approach to marine education and conservation. So get ready, folks. We are about to demystify the white shark and learn about the incredible work being done to protect them from one of the coolest and most fascinating dudes I have met in animal advocacy to date. <laughs> and that is the truth. Raj, it's super great to have you here today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. I mean, this is a brilliant opportunity. You know, um, anytime I get to talk about sharks, it's always fun. Um, and I know of your work. Um, I know um, that how you have been independently uh, trying to read this network and how, uh, you know, you've been engaging people who often don't get the attention uh, that is needed, not just for them, but, you know, to proliferate the work they're doing. Um, so I think that is you doing really important work, my friend. So thank you for that. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. I appreciate it. And uh, and that is exactly what I'm trying to do here is uh, give a platform for the people who are doing good work for the animals. And um, that is the purpose for us being here. So thank you. And um, it is great to have you here. And I was wondering if you could start with telling us a little bit about you, your background and how you developed your passion for sharks. And was that always your focal point, um, the focal point of your interest or, you know, did it develop over time? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to be as brief as possible, I suppose. Um, you know, I was born uh, in a household of painters. My father is a painter, my, my brother is an artist. So that's where I was born. Um, but, you know, as I was growing up, I realized that um, my life needed to take a different trajectory. And uh, my exploration of the, uh, of the operational side of the brain, as opposed to the artistic side of the brain, I suppose, began there. Um, I, I started, you know, with uh, my PhD in psychology. Then I had the opportunity of traveling to New Zealand and uh, working on my second PhD in anthropology. Um, that's, you know, I've, I was always fascinated by sharks and, uh, you know, now that I think about it, that, you know, the, the fascination about sharks have, have evolved over the years when I was really young, you know, I'm, I'm dyslexic. So when I was really young, you know, I remember one of my first non-comic book was about sharks and, uh, you know, seeing those images that there's something so enticing about them, you know. When I was really young, they they symbolized a life beyond my normal existence. 
as as I got older, they symbolized uh, you know sexiness and 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 adventure and everything like that. You know, sharks are the coolest thing around. When I reached New Zealand and I started my you know second PhD, then the sharks gave me the meaning to you know to to go forward a purpose. Now, I think sharks are my language, you know, that I sleep, I eat, I make love, I think, everything I do is through the language of sharks. Um, they are in my art, they're in my research. And uh, yeah, that's that's my life. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, and I mean, yes, you have dual PhDs in marine anthropology and applied psychology, which is pretty awesome. And I'm curious, can you tell us more about how these two areas of study intersect and how you apply them to your work on human-shark interactions? Well, um, initially, my my work started off um, in in the trend of multi-species research and multi-species ethnography. And I was trying to make an argument that um, that multi-species research can be done with sharks because when I started doing it, at that point, there was no extensive ethnography with sharks, uh, multi-species ethnography with sharks. So I was kind of, uh, kind of trying to make an argument that that is possible. Um, and basically the premise was that you try to learn the life of the animal other, in this case sharks, as you're learning about the lives of the humans who are connected with them uh, socially, uh, ecologically, economically, um, and even physically at times. So that was the basic premise. And, you know, so I finished that expedition and, uh, you know, I wrote my book. But when I came back to India, uh, you know, uh, my my aim was to actually look at uh, the human shark conflict that was going on in the Sundarban regions of West Bengal, which uh, sh shocking to me that uh, no, there was no academic investigation of that before that. But what I realized that, you know, multi-species perspective was not necessarily implementable in that perspective. And I'll tell you why. Because, uh, you know, when you're in New Zealand, when you are in the US, when you are in, uh, in in Australia, you can see a shark in front of you. Yeah, you can see uh, when you're doing activities like cage diving, they are, you know, they can be 10, 20 feet away from you. You can still see them. But in the murky waters of Sundarban, a big shark can be a couple of inches under the water. We'll not be able to see them. Mm. So the traditional way of trying to bring the shark into ethnographic research was not working. So that's when I started, you know, hatching the plan. Okay, so what is actually happening here? That's when I started um, understanding more that how a transdisciplinary perspective was important there. And so basically, if you think about uh, the, the, from what I understand, the primary difference in transdisciplinary research as opposed to interdisciplinary research is that in transdisciplinary research, there's two different points. One, that you're including knowledge from the locals. And also, you are, whatever science you're creating, it is for the common good. Mm -hmm. So in the Sundarbans, you know, I started taking the methodology uh, that I created in New Zealand, bringing in psychology, bringing in, uh, uh, you know, ecology, 
bringing in uh, knowledge from the local people and uh, trying to understand how all of this fits together and what can we do for the betterment of both the sharks and the human beings that were engaged in this, you know, century-old conflict. Sure. That makes a lot of sense and uh, is extremely important and valuable. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that as we uh, go on a little bit. Um, and to that point, can you share with us what inspired you to start the Transdisciplinary Human Shark Lab and the goals you were trying to achieve with it? Yeah, um, you know, like I said, that basically it was because of my failures in Sundarban to 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 use my original methods of just using multi-species ethnographic perspective. What I realized, I needed to bring in more different dimensions. And uh, right now, um, uh, yeah, I'm the director of the Transition Lab at my university, University in Calcutta. Um, along uh, there, I'm basically trying to create infrastructure, like I'm saying, where we can bring all these different elements together like um you know the the theoretical elements uh transmodality transdisciplinarity um and you know trans knowledge system so basically including art and sensory expressions as much as you know classic scientific knowledge um uh then again uh, the scientific knowledge and uh, local knowledge uh, all these things i'm trying to bring together and trying to create a theoretical and as much as a practical situation where we can help human and shark uh, conflict and even human shark interaction at a much global scale, taking Sundaman just as a um, place of seeing if this methodology is really working. I hope to take this and, you know, uh, talk about this for the rest of the world. So that's what I'm planning to do right now. That's amazing. I love that. And I, I hope that you, I won't say I hope, you will be successful. I know that you will be. Thank you, my it's a beautiful thing. And so you're teaching this at the university you were a professor at? And is this like... Yeah, uh, so I'm a professor of psychology at Sister Nivedita University in, um, in Kolkata. And uh, yeah, and um, I'm also, uh, like I said, the director of the lab, uh, Transdisciplinary Lab. And yeah, it's uh, it's very engaging and uh, trying to uh, you know bring out the students and uh, making them think differently i'm also right now i'm creating our our, our transdisciplinary human shark research methodology which i'm calling shark shark human holistic research and knowledge system which i am uh, now the aim is to teach this methodology globally at, at different universities and create a course so Primarily, I'm looking at uh, Europe. I'm talking with some universities in in Germany, uh, you know, other places, and yeah, that is definitely the way forward for uh, you know something like this. Brilliant! I love that. That's wonderful. I'm going to keep watching your work and and see how this uh, unfolds because I know it's going to be important. And uh, it's you know it is crucial to address the challenges in shark conservation and, and find sustainable solutions to this human shark conflict that is going on and this is a big question but do you what is the best way to tackle this complex issue i mean i it's a question that i ask to all the people that i speak with uh, across all walks of life for you know yeah. animal uh advocacy so, issues so a couple of things first and foremost you know i'm not a shark biologist i don't claim to be one um but I think um, 
we are there, there's one fundamental thing that's that's missing from you know current uh, shark conservation efforts that's what i feel see uh, uh, there's a lot of social scientific investigation which has actually shown that the negative image of sharks uh, is not helping in the creation and uh, you know sustainable uh, you know sustainability of uh, legislation for the betterment of sharks the, you know particularly as we know after jobs what most scientists are trying to do is to use knowledge to change that idea which is very important and it is obviously necessary but here's the thing that we have to go back to how this image was created this image was not created because of uh, some misinformation or disinformation even for that matter it was created because that particular film was able to tap on to our emotional reaction in such a way that is embedded in our cultural psyche right um so uh there is also research in you know decision making in psychological research where we're seeing that um emotion creates more avenue for people to 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 buy the extra candy bar which they don't need they know they have the knowledge they don't need it but the emotion you know look at that candy bar i think that's what's missing i think to change this image because it was created through emotion we have to uh, attack it through that. emotion yeah. yeah yeah we have to create uh you know remind people of our deep connection uh with sharks uh, at a cultural level through art uh through uh, through folklore through sensory expressions as much as obviously giving information i think it has to work together there's also another part um uh well in recent um, uh, you know global politics we have seen in certain cases uh, in india in america that when certain political uh, political parties mentioned things that were not true uh, you know uh, the social media houses put disclaimer that this information may not be true because they realized the effect of that information on the mass population so here's my argument that if the negative image that has been fed even now by you know different sources including documentaries well mockumentaries and stuff like that which are causing serious degradation to the population of sharks and hence degradation to to the global marine environment and hence to the terrestrial environment why isn't there a disclaimer like that when images of sharks are shown you know there must be images uh, you know disclaimer that this image does not necessarily represent the truth right. i think that has to come to policy that has to that's an excellent point. Um, it's not something that I thought about. That's that's great. Yeah, uh, I'm going to start, you know, thinking about that more and maybe bringing that up more through whatever work that I'm doing and people that I talk to. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, this is all really important stuff. So I, I appreciate having this conversation with you, um, which is why we do this, so that we can, you know, bring about um, awareness, education, and uh, you know, and dispel misinformation. So yep. it's really important. And uh, changing policy is also extremely important. It is a huge piece of this work uh, across the globe. Um, honestly, it's 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 happening everywhere. So everybody is responsible for taking action yep. 
and being aware. And once you're aware, we should not look away or pretend that we don't know. You can't unknow it. You can pretend, yeah. but that is called willful ignorance. And yeah. it's not something that we should be, yeah. you know, making part of our life anymore. Yeah. Not at this point. We don't really have yeah. the luxury. You can't afford to. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. no not, for, not yeah. for anything. So uh, thank you for that. And your research into human shark conflict in the Sundarban region is also really significant. And I wanted to talk about that for a bit. Um, if you could tell us why it's so important and what you found out. I mean, you started to allude to some of that before, but maybe you can go into a little bit further. Yeah. Uh, so let me come to it uh, from the from the very end, actually. Um, I just finished my field work, which lasted about four years. And um, you know what I realized? This, this story is a story about loss. This research should be should have been done 20 years back. I'm late, two decades. Because by now, uh, the people who were affected by the shark bites and the sharks themselves who could have been potentially there for millions of years, they're gone. Uh, these shark bites or shark attacks, whatever we choose to call them, has happened uh, yeah, for the last century, but they most of them stopped the last 20 years. That's because the sharks decreased. Uh, they were decimated from that region. Mm. Strange thing is that because Sundarban, you know, Sundarban is well known globally for the Royal Bengal Tiger. Okay. Uh, so that's why, you know, the tigers, the keystone species, they always got the, fa the favor. Um, but, um, yeah, no one wanted to know about sharks. One very interesting thing that I still have not figured out is like, so there are three major predators in that region, right? So there are tigers, there are crocodiles, and sharks. So tigers and sharks have not only academic, scholastic, but also cultural representation, be it through folklore, be it through art, you know, whatever. There is not a single representation of sharks in the folklore let alone academics. I've still not figured out why that is, being a major predator. But yeah, there are literally hundreds of cases of shark shark bites that has happened, which were hardly documented. Uh, by the time, you know, I started doing it four years back, like I'm saying, it's already too late. But I was able to get a lot of information. And uh, my purpose in the thing is to, as much as I can, bring out their stories. Um, you know, how women who suffered shark bites 20 years back still feel the pain even now. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and there's post-traumatic stress where a woman was bitten by, uh, you know, a shark again 20, 25 years back, her entire life, she could not even get in the pond to take a bath because she was so afraid of the water. Wow. Um, there are a couple of times I even faced people who had um, dementia, and, you know, I remember the, my last interview, I went there and this lady who was bitten by a shark 20 years back and I couldn't finish that interview, my friend, because all she was doing is sitting in front of me and crying. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's one thing hearing about it, but being there uh, is yeah, it's something else. So I'm just trying to bring stories of both the sharks and the, and the women. Primarily, it was the women who were bitten by sharks. In why, front of the 
Why do you well, think that is? Yeah, the, the, the major reason for that was uh, most of this wind was engaged in um, uh, mean. Mean is are like uh, prong lava. So they were uh, engaged in prong lava harvesting. So, you know, the men went to the jungle I see. and when the women still wanted to make some money, you know, sometimes for $2 in an entire day, that's all they'll earn. But uh, they'll get in the water with a net and just walk across the river. That's where these bites actually happened. Um, yeah, uh, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. So, yeah. So are there still sharks left there today or have they all been? No one knows. No one knows. Really? That's the thing. Yep. That's the thing. The, the, you know, uh, there are some rules. There are some. Uh, you know protocols that yeah you can't uh, you know kill sharks and all those things but I, that that's the thing no one knows. Interesting. I mean, I was shocked by the lack of information. So you're still doing research there. It's officially I finished finished my work and I'm just about finished my book okay. on this topic. Uh, should be done in the next couple of months. So Interesting. yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to look out for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. That is a fascinating topic, uh, to be sure. But you know what? This is not just Sundarbans. We know for a fact that there are other small communities all around the world where these things have happened. They've hardly been documented. So I welcome researchers to come up, talk about these, and let's get these things out in the public. And let's talk about them. Because, again, it's not just the human who are affected. It's the sharks themselves. And whenever there is human-animal conflict, it's always a human-human conflict. Yeah. So that's what we have to figure out. Right. Right. Definitely. Well, if anybody can get down to the bottom of it, I, I have my money on you, Raj. So <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep looking out for that. Um we, I know people are gonna want to know. They're probably extremely interested if you could share some of your time conducting uh some of the cool research doing white shark cage diving ethnography. Do you have any interesting stories? Um in that um, well, um, yeah. So I was, uh, yeah, based in New Zealand uh, with my with my friend Susan, Susan Lucas, Susan and I. Uh, uh, Susan was supporting me the entire project. Uh, she was my not only my research assistant, but you know she took care of everything when I was there. So yeah, a lot of my time from two thousand fourteen to about two thousand nineteen, I spent in the very end of New Zealand in Bluff, which is the last stop of the main uh, main South Island. And uh, I was working with uh, one of the cage diving operations down there. And what I wanted to know that um, what was really happening in the human shark interaction. Now, I'll, I'll tell you something. So uh, there's this argument that, uh, you know, cage diving and operations like this helps demystify sharks and good for the conservation. That is true, but there's a caveat that no one talks about. See, so when I took my data, uh, so I, you know, uh, let's divide in three uh, criterias. I took data about people's perception of the sharks from general population, then people's perception of the sharks before they saw the sharks underwater, and then after they saw you know, them underwater. And uh, it was so cool to see that the same people who had a different perception, higher negative, I mean, more negative attitude towards sharks, uh, had more positive attitude towards sharks after the encounter. 
But the caveat is, people who were coming already had more positive attitude towards sharks than the general population. So people who were coming and who we want to demystify sharks to already had a better attitude towards sharks anyway. Right. So you have to get the people who are not so keen on exactly. sharks to get in the water. And... If that's possible. <laughs> yeah. If that's possible. Yeah, um, right. right. Yeah. yeah um, I have some friends who are like, it's shark week. Oh, my God. And they watch I it, had, but they're I, like, they're like nail biting. Yeah. I, I had this. They get in. <laughs> I, I really doubt that. I had this. In, in, I, I encountered one Indian man, Sonny, I'll never forget his name. And like, he was there and he was really petrified of the sharks that get in the water. I said, Sonny, you're Indian man, Aum. Your country's <laughs> name is a state. Get in the water, I'm going to support you. It was really funny, but yeah, but that's the thing. Did you get when, him in? Yeah, yeah. But oh, when, good. You see them, when you see them, when you see a white shark on the water, it is unlike anything you can visualize, you can write song about, you can watch movies. It is indeed a spiritual, spiritual experience. Um, because that strength, it is, it is unlike anything you can explain it. You get at the same time, you get a sense of inferior complex, looking, looking at their presence, the same you feel awe. But interestingly, from a multi-species perspective, so a person's attitude toward the sharks and the change of it not only changes from them choosing to get in the water, but depends on that particular shark who's coming to the cage. And also uh, that shark could behave differently in front of two different cages, just for example, right? So there were initially when I was doing my field work, there were two different shark boats there. The same shark would behave very relaxed in front of our boat and our cage, but would react very, quote-unquote, aggressively in front of other cage. And I, I used to think, okay, why is that happening? Later, I realized the way the shark wranglers in the boats were handling the, the bait, oh. because in our cage, they were just keeping the bait. And when the shark was coming, they just took it out. Didn't want to entice the shark in the other boat. They were keeping it till the last moment, and the shark come lunging at it, and then they took it out. So it means... Also, the people who are in our cage would have a different experience and a different perception of the shark as opposed to people who are in the other cage. Yeah, that's important. That's yeah. important. It's the energy so, of... Yeah, so, so the individuality of the shark was playing as important a part and their interaction with the human beings was playing as important a part in our perception than the general practice itself. That's why I was using a multi-species perspective where the shark's feeling, the shark's moods, the shark's activity was important to consider as much as the human beings involved. Yeah, I can totally uh, understand that and relate to that. I mean, I'm, I work with animals. I am also a Reiki practitioner. I work with with pets, people's, you know, companion animals. And it's, I, and I had a uh, grooming academy and it always started with the energy. People needed to understand, I needed to convey to them how important it was for them to understand their own energy and then understand the energy of the animals and how they exactly. approach the animal was everything. And exactly. we aren't speaking the same language. We don't speak cat or dog. They don't speak human. I mean, they can understand a few words, sure, with commands and whatever, but the the language of energy is one that is, you know, 
it just transcends everything. We can communicate exactly. to each other that way without any need for words. And, um, you know, if you're having a bad, crappy day and you come into work that way, and oh, yeah. You want, yeah, it's the animal is going to respond in kind. Either they're going to be stressed out. If they're already stressed out, you're going to stress them out more. And so it just, to me, it makes perfect sense in what you're saying. And, and that can be applied to anything across the board. Yeah. Humans yeah. dealing with humans, uh, with us, with other animals around the world, and is important for how we should be responding and and taking care of the animal kingdom, at least as far as I can see. So, Absolutely. yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's a very fascinating uh, story and um, helps paint a picture and helps people, I would think and hope, understand more about um, sharks and. I would like to move into talking a little bit about your artwork because um, you really are a fascinating person, Raj. You have kind of a renaissance man. I mean, you you are involved in so many different things um, and then to, to be an artist as well. And obviously you said you have, you know, artists in your background, but I did have the opportunity to take a look at some of your artwork, which was really moving. Um, and a lot of it, most of it, what I saw was about sharks. And um, the one that really grabbed me was the mother. And I just thought that was um, really a beautiful piece and um, very compelling. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind your art and um, your the endeavors there. And is there a particular piece that is extremely maybe powerful or meaningful for you, significant in your life in some way? And maybe I mean, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting that you picked that one up, the mother. Um, that one was uh, a six feet by four feet oil painting, a mixed medium painting. Um, and um, yeah, I, I remember the first time I exhibited it. Uh, there was this lady uh, who, and she was probably with her husband, and she was standing in front of the painting, and she was asking her husband, "Why is he calling this a mother? What's mother about a shark?" <laughs> and that was very interesting about, you know, um, but like I said, you know, by that time, I think um, sharks started becoming my language. Um, and, and it's a very, very personal journey. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I intentionally moved away from art uh, because that just wasn't my journey. Recently, I've again come back to art, but not necessarily as a painter myself. But I, th I think one of the biggest things that happens is when, when artists speak with scientists, they're, they're often looked down with a little bit of condescending. Let's, let's, be, let's be fair. That's what happens. You know, because artists talk about very artsy, artsy stuff. And, you know, scientists <laughs> are science. Yeah, That's just the truth, whether we'd like to accept it or not. What I'm trying to do is talk from a psychological and evolutionary part as to why art is important in conservation, why it helps us you know, change perceptions, uh, why, how it helps us connect with our roots and hence think differently. Let, I'll, I'll ask you something. Uh, how many you know, movies about the good whales we have seen? Yeah. 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 Um, There's a, just from the top of our head, we've seen Free Willy, right? If nothing right. else. Sure. 
Yeah. How many good movies about sharks have we actually seen? Yeah. So it's the animation. So right, yeah. and even and even there, they're depicted. You don't usually get the animated yeah. sharks as you know as the yeah. So too, so 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 that's where art comes in. Yeah. Because it still is feeding into the same idea. The emotion. Yeah, and 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 also, see, our brain, uh, um, sensory art, you know, the right side of the brain or the left side of the brain, I mean, there's a lot of argument if they actually exist, but generally speaking, yeah, we have the operational side and then we have the, uh, you know, artistic side. Both are creative sides, but one is operational creativity, the other is artistic creativity. So whenever we're creating art, but you sensory art, uh, we there's two kinds of communication that's going on. One communication that's happening between the, I mean, intercommunication between individuals. There's also intracommunication that's happening between, you know, those sides of brains where things and emotions we can't verbalize, but we are trying to communicate. So that's why art is so important, particularly in conservation. Our relationship with the marine environment, our relationship. Uh, with our soil, with with the fish, all of that, their sensations, which are important data. I I I urge my scientist friends to talk about data, emotions being data. Yeah, that have has to be tapped into, which are important for conservation. That's that's how I'm coming back to art. That's incredible. Um, I think that you are in a really phenomenal position. Uh, with having both sides of, you know, you've got one leg of your life in science and psychology and the other in the arts, and you can bridge that gap and bring it together to, to really tap into people's emotions with this stuff. So maybe you're bringing that back now. It's all coming together yeah. for a purpose at the right time. Yeah, I mean, but, but you know what? Again, I'm not alone. There are so many people like that. And I'm, I'm trying to invite them all in. And also, you know, one of the things about transitional research that I'm uh, that is important to me, human shark transitional research important to me, is there's a lot of people who are not biologists because traditionally, you know, we only look at shark biologists whenever we're thinking about, you know, shark scientists. But you know, people who have, uh, you know, uh, experience in history, in anthropology, in psychology, I want to invite all of them because all of them have so much to give to shark research. Right. You know, so yeah, I think I think that's pivotal. Yeah, I think that's uh, super smart and the probably the right approach. So um, I think that would be amazing. Some kind of like shark uh, conference, <laughs> some global yeah. shark conference. But uh, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, you know, we're getting close to the time where we need to wrap up here a little bit. But I was wondering if you could, we could bring this together on a really great note. And if you have any advice for listeners, people who are really, you know, usually, you know, I get the people who are already animal advocates and they want to help and do good work and spread that, you know, love uh, wherever they go. And so if there's any advice you'd like to give to them um, and how they can make a difference in shark advocacy, what you might say. All right. So, you know what, I'm, I'm going to uh, use what you said right now and just say, Two things, both uh, both among my you know my my favorite philosophers. Um, uh, one is Dostoevsky, when he said that beauty is going to save the world. Beauties will save the world. And uh, Christopher Hitchens, 
he also said uh, at the end, don't forget the love bit. I think that's the way forward. But we have to be strategic. That explain to scientists, explain to the global population, this is not just frou-frou. The love, the beauty is important, has important part to play, play in conservation and basically explain to them scientifically and logically how we can incorporate all of these together to create a world where not only humans and sharks survive, but people from different places, different ideologies, different experiences can come together to support our sharks. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautifully put. And uh, I thank you for that. And I hope those words resonate with folks. And uh, thank you all for tuning in today to the Rising Lioness podcast. Uh, we've explored the amazing world of sharks with Dr. Raj Shaker Ike, who shared his passion for these majestic creatures and his groundbreaking work in transdisciplinary human shark research. Let's take inspiration from Dr. Shaker's work and take action to raise awareness. Share this episode and commit to a world where sharks and our oceans thrive. Remember everyone, Every small action does count, and we can all make a difference in shaping a future where the beauty of our oceans remains intact. Thank you for being part of this transformative journey, and let's rise together for a world that celebrates and protects all living beings. Until next time, stay safe and take care, everybody. And Raj, thank you so much for joining us today. This was amazing, and I have learned a lot that I intend to share and uh, through my work here, through the podcast and just in, in talking to people in general. And I definitely have a newfound appreciation for sharks uh, through you and through working with you. So thank you. Um, thank you're, you. you're an incredible person and your your work is uh, noble. So thank you. And, and please keep up the good work. I know, I know you will. I don't think I need to say that, but I, I very much appreciate you. And I know that many others uh, do as well and I know the sharks do so <laughs> that's all thank you I mean I, I thank you for this opportunity and you know anyone has anything to talk about they're always welcome to come um, available online just I'll be happy to speak with anyone any questions any advice you know it'll be my pleasure so thank you that's wonderful and we'll attach all of your uh, links important links so folks you can find um, Raj and all of his good work just click on the link in our YouTube um, the YouTube uh, description and to all of our listeners and to you, Raj, I wish you all a wonderful, beautiful, blessed day and to that I say goodbye and namaste until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.